0: Quality sleep is essential. That's why the Sleep Number smart bed is designed for your ever-evolving sleep needs. So you can choose what's right for each of you whenever you like. Need a bed that's firmer or softer on either side? Helps you sleep at a comfortable temperature. Quiets their snores? Sleep Number does that. Sleep better together. J.D. Power ranks Sleep Number number one in customer satisfaction with mattresses purchased in-store. And now save 40% on Sleep Number special edition smart bed for a limited time. For J.D. Power 2023 award information, visit jdpower.com awards. Only at Sleep Number stores or sleepnumber.com.
1: Angie has made it easier than ever to hire
2: high-quality pros to get all your home service jobs done well. Just bring them your project online or with the Angie app, answer a few questions, and Angie will connect you with local pros who match your specific needs. Or book a service instantly at an upfront price. So join the millions of homeowners who use Angie to care for their homes and get your next home service job done well. Download the free Angie mobile app today or visit angie.com. That's a n g i . c o m. Good evening everyone. I'm Allison Camerota. Welcome to CNN tonight. Alex Murdoch will spend the rest of his life behind bars for the murders of his own wife and son. The judge who sentenced him today knew Murdoch professionally and personally before all of this and called him a monster. Tonight, some legal observers say that those three hours of jury deliberations were too fast for a six-week trial. We'll debate that. Plus, what will the future be like for the people of East Palestine, Ohio, who've been exposed to toxic chemicals from that train derailment? Tonight, a woman who grew up in the middle of a different environmental disaster has a message for the people of East Palestine, what she says they need to do starting now. And here's a question for you. How would you like to travel the world for a year, all seven continents, and see all the historic sites like the Taj Mahal, Machu Picchu, the Great Wall of China, all your food and lodging is included, even some booze, for the bargain price of $30,000, but there is a catch, and we'll tell you all about it, and see if our panelists are game to try it. All right, we've got a lot to talk about tonight, so let's bring in our guests. We have expert criminal attorney Dante Mills, also Patrick McEnroe, an expert on a different kind of court, um, Grío badass Natasha Alford, and Republican Jersey Shore lover Doug High. Great to have all of you guys here with me tonight. Okay, so Dante, I want to start with you about the trial. It was very interesting today to hear the judge talk about how long he has personally known Alec Murdoch. So I just want to play that for everybody because he talks about you know what his impression was then and then what it has become. So listen to this.
3: You've practiced law before me, and we've seen each other at various occasions throughout the years. And it was especially heartbreaking for me to see you um, go on, go in the media from being a, a grieving father who lost a wife and a son to being the person indicted and convicted of killing them.
2: Dante, I would have thought that if, you knew, if the judge knew someone that well, that he would have had to have recused himself or something. I mean, is this just the occupational hazard of being in a small town that judges and defendants often know each other? That just took me by surprise how well, how many years they had known each other.
3: It's a combination of a small town, but also a big name. You have to remember that Murdoch family was a huge name in that community. They helped a lot of people. In fact, they had to take his grandfather's picture off the mm. wall of the courthouse. That's how big they are. So for this judge to see him in this light after believing in the beauty of their family, and as he said, you have to be a monster to kill your wife and child. And when it's somebody you know, that you believe is a good person, and it turns out that they're not, that's heart-wrenching.
2: Absolutely. But there's no problem with the judge knowing a defendant that well?
3: No. Um, And and you have to, especially in those small towns, you have to trust in the judges, in the attorneys, that they'll be professional. And will remove themselves, their personal opinions from the situation and say, I may know him, but I have to follow the law, whether it benefits him or not.
4: Ask, we, we often yeah, hear so often of, you know, trials are being moved to other places because they can't be judged fairly. Why did this not happen here? Like, I didn't watch... One minute of this trial, to be honest. The last <laughs> trial I watched. I like your full disclosure. <laughs> the last trial I watched was a certain running back that we all remember. Uh-huh. So
2: That's like, truly the last oh, yeah, trial no, you watched? Watch that one just wow. got you off of trials forever?
4: Well, we, I, we focus on these specific things and sometimes forget about the larger things. But I'm curious why, when we so often hear, I can't be judged fairly here that in this case that
3: happened. Well, I'll tell you why. Because the defense in this case knew or believed that he would get a benefit from mm, being tried uh-huh, yes. there. Mm-hmm. as those are his yeah. people. Yeah, and, and, His family helped so many people in that community, they thought it would be That's a thing. That's the issue
5: of privilege. It, it, it only did, what I heard today, Dante and Allison, from the judge, number one, and then from the lead prosecutor in his interview with Anderson earlier tonight, just reaffirmed to me what I heard throughout the trial and what I was sensing just as a layman watching this, not as an expert, that this guy thought that he was going to be able to get away with this because of what you talked about, because of the fact that he had so much influence, had so much history. And of course, as we learned throughout this case, could manipulate pe- people better than anyone. Well, he couldn't do it when it came right down to it. And to me, you know, we often, com- well, we complain. Sometimes they deliberate for days and days and weeks. It goes on forever. This time they didn't need to. I don't think we need to complain about that.
6: Yeah, so, forty-five minutes, right? Mm-hmm. Well, three, three, hours, three hours. Right. But three. they I guess, but internally they said it was forty-five minutes. <laughs> yes. Oh, yes. Maybe, an hour, the jurors, he said. Yeah, maybe the, an hour. Yeah, maybe an hour. Exactly. Said. Craig Moyer came out and said that, you know, within about forty-five minutes they had consensus, but of course they went through the process of deliberating and talking about all of the evidence. And as you said, um, It was Murdoch's own testimony that turned them off. There was the sense of he was being disingenuous. uh, They didn't see the emotion that they expected. And that also he just was too smart for his own good. Right. The, having an instant defense uh, when the police were on the scene and that being in the body camera footage, that all backfired. So, you know, juries are about democracy. This this is the front lines of democracy in America, making sure that everyday people have a right to be a part of this process. And those jurors saw what they saw and they reached a consensus. But what about the notion? There's an op-ed in The New York Times
2: today um, by Farad uh, Manju, who says, that three hours or 45 minutes is not long enough for all of the data that they had to go through. I In other words, well, let me ask you this. Let me just give you his point first. He says, our devices now capture everything about what everyone is doing, but making sense of that data is not trivial. In the Murdoch case, both sides pointed to the digital record. But by the end of the trial, I felt like I had no real idea what actually happened. The jury was hardly so cautious. Well, Dante, his point was that we've all had the experience where our, our cell phone tells us that we're Uh, Driving when in fact we're a passenger or we're walking, and that they hung a lot of their case on these cell phones, the cell phone data that he's suggesting may not be as trustworthy as we think.
3: Well, I tried and I handle cases all over the country, and I know this for a fact. Jurors are smart people. They're the people in our community. That's why we have jurors in this country. We want people to come together to use common sense Mm -hmm. and tell us what's right or wrong. So although it was a six-week trial where they went through a lot of painstaking evidence the jury could have latched on to one thing that made the difference for them and said, I don't care what anybody else says. I don't care what six weeks worth of testimony. We're not going to go through all of that because we already used this fact to decide that he did it. And whether it was the kennel video where they heard his voice at the scene of the murder minutes before and said, no matter what the other cell phone data says or means, this has convinced me. So the jury is smart enough to piece all of that out. And say, we don't have to sit here for days and talk about things that don't make a difference. We've already made our yeah, mind up. The
5: cell phone video was obviously crucial when you talk about the, the testimony that was heard in the courtroom. And then, as you heard from one of the jurors today in his interview, the, the, the interviewer said, you saw him crying. He, was cr-. he goes, no, no, he wasn't crying. Those were not tears. And, so she, and she said, how did you know that? She said, I was this close to him. I could see it. it. He was made up. So they saw right through him, as you said earlier. It was just they knew that he was a con man.
2: So the lead prosecutor was on Anderson's show tonight and talked about what he thought the jury was responding to. So here's that moment.
7: I think, you know, a lot of times as as a lawyer you get to look in the jurors' eyes and, you know, it's it's always a read and, you know, you, you they can obviously speak for themselves if they decide to speak, but I, I just think that they saw him lying in action and saw how easily he could do it and and it's 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 hard to get by the fact of lying about being at the murder scene with the victims just minutes before they died.
6: That one is hard to explain. (laughs) He never really was able to explain that. Yeah, and it's interesting. You were bringing up the point about phones. Um, we, I've said this before. We exchange, we give up so much when we accept technology into our lives. Um, but it's just like any other piece of evidence, I think, right? It's all about how the prosecutors tell a story. At the end of the day, it's about storytelling and persuasion. And so, yes, you could interpret that phone, data, evidence, any type of way. It might not be accurate. Maybe something else really happened. But if you tell the story and it's compelling... That, that's what jurors are going to go with.
4: And I think that's ultimately Dante's point, is there's, there's one thing, right? There may be a million things that are talked about. There's one thing they glom onto. And so if you go back to the, uh, the movie 12 Angry Men, which is like the greatest, you know, story of juries of all time, it comes down to Henry Fonda saying, did you notice that she had notches on her eyes? Was she wearing her glasses or not? And that's what one by one turned all of the jurors. This is what happens in in court
3: cases all the time. But it's funny that Alec thought that he could convince them he could get up on the stand and his Mm. counsel told him not to testify. He testified over their objection because he thought he was going to be able to convince them. He knew all the tricks. He turned towards them. He leaned in. (laughs) He did the fake cry and it didn't work.
2: Because he was an attorney, so he knew all the truth Absolutely. Tricks.
5: He would have been a lot better off just saying yes, no to the answers. And I thought the prosecutor, and we re- replayed that uh, tonight as well, did that amazing job of going through what his pl- other plausible scenario was about who it could have been and the fact that it was so implausible as you went through. So you're telling us this. Well, it was obvious that the jury believed what the prosecutor were saying, that that's just completely implausible what could have happened.
2: The prosecutor also said that he'd let Alec Murdoch talk and that Alec Murdoch talked too
3: much. I, I was watching. As a trial attorney, I'm watching it, and I'm cringing because on cross-examination, you're supposed to tell your story as the mm. attorney and just have the witness either agree or disagree. But he would ask him a question and then say, well, explain. And he just let Alec mm. talk. And I'm sitting there saying, I teach, I teach law at Temple University. And I'm saying, that's not how you do it. But it actually worked. And apparently, that was his plan. He wanted him to talk himself off the cliff. And in fact, he did.
4: Allison, sometimes the toughest question you can ask somebody you're interviewing is, go on and let them do it.
6: (laughs) Mm -hmm. Journalists know that trick as well. (laughs) Yes. Mm -hmm. Let people talk and they'll tell you more than they actually intended to sometimes.
2: Yes. Great point. I'm so surprised, Doug, that you don't watch trials and haven't for decades. I find them fascinating. So you don't That's find That's
4: good. That's great. Thank- I'm glad <laughs> you did. Thank you. We're going to get you. We're, We're going to get. We always
2: learn so I- many I-
5: things I- in the world going on. There's always something but to learn I mean, here. I
2: just they they're so filled with suspense and pathos and you know, the human struggle, like, I can't believe that you don't respond to any of that. They're, like, ready-made for TV. That's why I love having cameras in the courtroom, because you, we get to watch democracy in action and the criminal justice system. I
4: mean, I prefer having cameras in the courtroom than seeing those weird sketches that we all see, sometimes on, like, NBC Nightly News, where <laughs> it doesn't look like Tom Brady when he's talking about <laughs> deflating footballs, but no.
3: You have to admit, uh, there's something about real life, and these are real people, real death, real relationships, Uh, And when you look at someone and say, this was his wife and his son, you don't want to believe that he did it. So that's part of why you're invested. Like, I want to be convinced because sure. I don't want to think there's people out there who can just do this for no reason. But, but Sure. But also the reality is
4: this sadly happens in America every day. And there are trials every, every day, every week that we could pay attention to. And we don't. Why don't we pinch, pay attention to this one? Because it was a really wealthy guy in South Carolina who was a big shot lawyer. Yeah. That's why everybody paid attention to it.
2: That's, yeah, that's one reason. I mean, I, I do think that there's a fascination to that. But also killing your son, killing your family, that's unusual. It yeah. st- still I, I,
4: sadly happens in America no, domestic violence
2: lot. all the time. I, I totally agree with you that in domestic violence cases, uh, tragically, women are being killed for sure. But a son and the wife are being killed. That's not every day. I, I don't there mean, was, I don't was no history backstory.
3: of domestic violence here either. Yeah. Right. There was no great history point. of violence. No friends that said, oh, he screamed at her all the time or nothing. That's but, a great point. Nothing. Because so there's, if there's
2: no hint, then you're, one day you're going to kill your wife and mm-hmm. son. That does make it really
6: weird. But there was a backstory that was building for a while, and that's where I didn't really watch the trial in depth, but I watched that Netflix documentary. Sure, I think. Mm-hmm. and people I'll look, say it's
2: fantastic. I'll it say, it yeah. really
6: was powerful because it paints the bigger picture, right? This buildup, this sense of injustice in this small town where you feel like you can't hold this powerful person accountable. You can't win. And so this was a kind of a David and Goliath moment, if you think about it, where you know the people finally held this really powerful person accountable in a state where, again, uh, that wasn't always the case, justice for the most part.
5: And as a sports guy, you know, I like to say sports, it's the ultimate reality TV. This was ultimate reality. I mean, you talk about real life. This is real life.
6: Yeah. Friends,
2: thank you very much. Okay, we're going to move on to this because crime, of course, is a big problem. It's also a hot-button issue at the ballot box. President Biden is getting blowback from his own party because of a new crime bill and which side he's siding with. Let's go. President Biden doing an about-face this week, signaling he will not veto a Republican-led measure to undo a new D.C. crime law. Democrats say they feel blindsided by the president siding with Republicans. And former Congressman Max Rose joins the panel now. Great to have you here. Thanks for having me. Democrats are ticked off because they want President Biden to side with them. And he's going to not veto this Republican bill, um, so... Can you explain how this all happened?
8: Sure. Well, the Democratic Party will often, you know, never miss an opportunity to lose. Um, <laughs> and it, Republicans it, feel the same way.
4: Republicans, <laughs> by <laughs> the <laughs> way. Right.
8: So thank God that Joe Biden is being, and his team are being politically disciplined right now. It, polls show, poll after poll shows that the American people believe that the Democrats and the Republicans are equally extremist. This despite the fact that the vast majority of the Republican Party right now in Congress literally supports burning our Constitution and our democracy to the ground. This issue of public safety is as politically potent as any other issue. And if we are not on the side of the majority on this issue, then it doesn't matter what else you believe doesn't matter what other plans you may have from protecting a woman's right to make her own health care decisions to addressing skyrocketing economic inequality and all the like because Democrats will not be in office so this is the right decision so
2: let's explain how we got here this is what was in the DC crime law this was passed by the DC City Council and then vetoed by the DC mayor who's a Democrat and then um, it was in the house supported by Republicans and um, and a couple of Democrats, I guess do I have that right? thirty one in the house. thirty one yeah. Democrats in the House. okay, so here it is. It would be the elimination of mandatory minimum sentences for many crimes, reduction of maximum sentences for crimes such as robbery and carjacking, and expand the requirement for jury trials in most misdemeanor cases. So um, Natasha, here's where it here's where I think people get caught up. Reduction of maximum sentences for crimes such as robbery and carjacking. Why?
6: who can support that? Right right? The devil is in the details. Right. This uh, penal code has not been revised since 1901. So we're talking about black people couldn't vote then and women couldn't vote then. Right. So if you ask people on a local level who are really in the details, they're just saying this is about proportionality and uh, catching up with you know what the national sort of standard is. 40 years was the maximum for carjacking. They were proposing bringing it down to 24. 40 years is a really long time. It's not saying that carjacking isn't a problem. It's actually up in D.C. right now. But they're trying to make it match. But on match a national what? level. Match other states? Match other states. Okay. But on a, if you were to ask the, every, a, the average person, crime is a problem right? Mm -hmm. It is a big problem. People feel unsafe going to work. They feel unsafe going home. They're seeing these viral videos of these terrible crimes. So it's a moment of a a local issue colliding with national politics. And as you were saying, Max, President Biden is thinking big picture about it, even though this might be reasonable on a local level. And unfortunately, it just—it's people are going to be upset. It's an
8: unbelievable circumstance. And we talk about those 31 House Democrats. I promise you, if the Democratic caucus had known that President Biden was going to support this, that would have been well over a hundred. That's their and, anger, and they are pissed right now that they weren't aware of that, and now they're softer on crime than their so Democratic. So shouldn't he president. have told
2: him, told them what his intentions were? I'm not
8: even sure <laughs> they knew, you know, because what what Meaning this, the White House didn't. Yeah, know what his yeah, because were. what this, what what the interesting thing about the this administration from the very beginning is the clash of the two different staff groups. You have the Bernie and Warren wing, and then you have the folks who are more centrist. And shockingly enough, as the election comes closer and closer, the centrists are gaining more ground. So I have no doubt there were weeks and weeks of deliberations and debates here. And unfortunately, for, for those Democrats who voted I mean, against the president, they, they got I, caught on I the think, wrong side. I think the,
5: min- the minutiae of the bill as these two are talking about, look, Allison, you know I do my homework when I come on here. But there's certain <laughs> things that are outside my reach. But what I do know is that President Biden reads the political winds as good as any politician we've ever seen. That's why even though he's 80 years old, he's still very powerful and has a lot of influence. So even if these Democrats are ticked off about this decision, you think they're going to leave him when, when it gets down to crunch time? No, they're not. Yep. So he's playing the card which Natasha talked about. Crime is a huge issue. It's a very serious issue. Nobody's going to say I'm against having you know, tougher crime laws. So he's reading the political winds and he's doing exactly what he's got the power now after what's happened in the last month or so after the State of the Union. And he's saying, you know what, I'm going to flex my muscles.
4: A lot, a lot of things can be true at the same time. Everything everyone has said is true. Uh, Let me take you back to September 2021, 8.45 p.m. I'm walking to Whole Foods uh, to go to the grocery store. In Washington, D.C. And two guys jump me, and they run into a running car car waiting for them. Cops come. Cops were great. They told me, we think the same people did this 10 minutes earlier. And then they sort of shrugged their shoulders. We'll never find them. We're never going to solve this.
2: That's what they said to you. The police said to you, we're never going to find them. We're never going to solve this. Never going to
4: find them. We're never going to solve this. It happened 10 minutes earlier, a half a mile away. This happens every day in Washington, D.C., and this is where multiple things can be true at the same time. What we also know is so many people are leaving Washington, D.C. because they didn't get carjacked, but their neighbor or the person across the street. I know four people in the last two years who've left D.C. because of carjackings. And so what the District of Columbia does is they advertise, which is what this, this legislation does, we don't take crime seriously. And they tell you that they do, but they don't. So if you but go hold on on the on, Metro... Let me just stop you
2: there for a second, because I'm, I'm curious of what Natasha said. So lowering the sentencing for carjacking from 40 years to 24 tells people we don't take it seriously? I mean, do you think criminals are, are listening with that uh, closer? Sure they are. To- go
4: go in the Washington Metro and you see a sign that talks about people who are jumping on, jumping over the turnstiles, which is not enforced, by the way. And it shows you what the penalties are in D.C., in Virginia and in Maryland. In Maryland, it's one hundred dollars. In Virginia, it's one hundred dollars. In D.C., it's fifty dollars. They're advertising. We don't take it seriously. And so this is what Joe Biden, he reacted late. He screwed his party over to be really blunt about it. He ultimately made the right decision. Yes, there are questions of, you know, state, you know, uh, home, home rule and all of that that weren't addressed properly. But he's reacting to how people are reacting to crime. And it's a personal issue. That's but a So,
6: you know, the sexual assault, for example, the, the maximum uh, time that you could do for sexual assault was actually increased in this bill. Right. Went from five years to 15 years. So, again, the devil is in the details. But at a time like this where we're so partisan, it seems we can't get on the same page about what is reasonable. Right. Forty years for carjacking. The majority yeah. of D.C. residents, black and white, are saying we want common sense criminal justice mm-hmm. reform. And there was a time when we were bipartisan on this, right. Donald Trump. Was right, you know, that's there exactly the right. First we can Step support Act, the Equal Act, but we have gotten away from that. It's just too black or we white. We can support the yeah. Equal
4: Act and do we can be tough on crime and do criminal justice reform, things like the Equal Act and the First Step Act. At the same time, Trump was great on this. As a Republican, I don't say Trump was great on a lot of things very often, right? He was really good and effective on criminal justice. But it's his own
6: party who's undermining the bipartisanship that we could have because they want to score political points. In this case,
4: it's the District of Columbia City Council. It's Charles Allen who's doing this.
6: So this has nothing to do with policy.
8: There's no carjacker in the world who says... I was going to do it, but then I realized that it was 40 years, not 24. <laughs> they're
4: coming in from Prince George's County, stealing cars, that, and doing this place by place in the District of It happens
8: every day. That is not because of the amount of time they would do in jail. They know they're going to get away with it. That's fundamentally false. But They know they're going to get away with this it. Is what this is about, plain and simple, is this is about politics. From a political vantage point... The president did the right thing because I don't want to see Donald Trump get no. reelected. I think get we'd re-elected. agree exactly. that especially that's after exactly the Chicago mayor election, it became the, a lot more political. But now you noted that many things can be true at the same time. Here's what cannot be true. Okay, You cannot come out and say you support D.C. statehood, D.C. home rule and just say, well, uh, unless they pass something uh, that I really don't like. I don't disagree that's, with you. That is that's fundamentally contradictory, hypocritical, but again— I do applaud the political discipline. That is what really matters yes. here from the vantage point and, of the and, White and,
5: House. And to Doug's story and his point, do you know anybody that got attacked at a gas station in California while pumping gas? Uh, I mean, I, you, you do now, because well, that was me. There you go. Cold cocked, attacked from behind. Meaning
2: you were punched. I was
5: punched in the face mm-hmm. in a California gas station, my rental car, out of the blue, nothing happened. I turned around. Next, so next thing I knew, I'm on the ground, bleeding profusely. Same thing. Cops came. Yeah. Said, "What happened? Did you get? Did you have an argument while you were?" No. I was just literally pumping And did gas. they steal like,
2: your wallet or something? No, nothing. Really.
5: And, 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 and wait. So-
2: hold on. I'm not done. Yeah. And the cops said. The cops well, we're said, we're "Well, do it. We there's some
5: drug this? issues going around the the area. It was in the Palm Springs area. There's some, you know, gang issues going around. Interestingly, a car pulled up a couple of minutes as I was." Dusted myself off and, you know, they came out. We called the cop before the cops. came. Hey, we think the guy went back into this mall back there. You want to come in and get him?
4: I said, no, I don't think so. And
0: here's part of the
5: setup. It was what it was a setup.
4: Yeah. You're talking about a professional athlete. I'm not a small guy. I'm still jumpy. At night, walking the sidewalks. So if you're my friend Julie, uh, who's five foot tall, who left Washington, D.C. because she's scared, that makes a lot of sense. And that's happening all over the country right now. And again, the Chicago mayor election shows why Biden made this decision. Right. He didn't make it before that race.
8: Well, I've never been attacked, but I'm pretty intimidating. <laughs> <laughs> I'm <laughs> I'm true that. I, I've, I've, you know, true that. That's, that's well, those are scary stories, guys, Yeah, so. yeah, right. Yeah.
2: Um, Okay, thank you all for that and sharing those personal stories. Meanwhile, another one in East Palestine, Ohio, 70 percent of people who took a health survey have now reported having headaches and other symptoms after that toxic train derailment last month. How long will it take to know if these are lasting health consequences? Someone who grew up in the middle of another environmental disaster is going to join us with what her life was like next. It's been one month since that toxic train derailment in East Palestine, Ohio. In a new op-ed for The New York Times, one writer reflects on her experience growing up in the middle of another environmental disaster and offers a warning to East Palestine residents about what they need to do now. That writer, Vanessa Ogle, joins our panel. Vanessa, thanks so much for being here. I read your story with incredible interest. You grew up in a small town in central Michigan— Um, in close proximity to a chemical plant, where starting in 1973, toxic chemicals like the flame-retardant PBB got mixed up accidentally with the livestock feed. Yes. And that ended up coloring and affecting your life and your town for decades. And so what was it like growing up there?
9: Yes, I think it was something that has shaped a lot of my life. I knew a lot of people who suffered from mysterious health problems, cancers, skin issues, things that make me really concerned for the people in Ohio.
2: Because it went on. I mean, it wasn't just an event that happened one day and one month and then it was over. It went on for decades. Yes. And, and furthermore, then there was another leak from that chemical plant of DDT, which we yes. know we all know is uh, horribly poisonous. And so to this day, what's happening in your town?
9: Yes. Yeah, so to this day, there is an order to not consume any of the fish. You cannot or should not swim in a river that is really very beautiful and the residents are not able to enjoy it like they should be able to. And I mean, I was reading, you said that like growing up, birds, dead birds would just drop from the sky. Yes. So the birds were contaminated because they were eating the worms that were in the soil that was contaminated. So you see how one thing impacts the entire ecosystem. I mean, that has to cast
2: a pall, I would imagine, over your childhood and teenage years. Like, were you walking around? Was it a carefree
9: child, adolescence, or were you, was this ever present in your? I think it definitely is a backdrop of how you view the world, why you understand you can't swim in a river, that, you know, other towns you might be able to do that. I think you see people, you know, drinking more bottled water just out of precautions. And so I think it's something that definitely impacted my childhood. So what do you say to the people of East Palestine today? I think they have to continue to advocate for themselves. As you said, this is something that impacted my community for decades, and it's still impacting people to this day. Um, I think people should make note of their symptoms. They should document everything. They should, if they're willing, participate in studies. Michigan has done A lot of studies looking at the PBB contamination in individuals, and that can be really beneficial down the road.
2: So just today, there is a health assessment survey, guys, that has come out um, from the East Palestine community um, asking what they're feeling today. 74% still um, record headaches. 64% say they have anxiety. 61% report coughing. 58% uh, report fatigue and tiredness. And then 52% Irritation, Mm. pain, and burning of the skin. This is a month later. I mean, this is just the health assessment was just released today. And so when you say advocate for themselves, what does that look like? What should they be doing?
9: Yeah, I think as I stated, documentation, that's very important. You don't know what type of lawsuits will happen in the future. You want to make sure you're prepared. Um, and I think just making sure that you're, you're staying engaged with your fellow community members, that you have a power in numbers, that you're banding together and really focusing on making it as bipartisan as possible so that everyone can you know, receive the care and help that they deserve. Yeah. It, it,
5: it's, a, it's awful to hear this type of story from, and so personal from Vanessa. And unfortunately, we've been hearing a lot of stories like this, whether it's the train derailments, whether it's issues on planes, um, chemicals in the air. And it, I always think about in a situation like this, hearing when, when politicians are ranting and raving about get the government out of our lives. You know, we don't want the government messing with what we're doing. And then I'm thinking to myself, though, no, wait a second, who are we counting on? To deal with these issues. Every single day of our lives, we get on the subway or we take a get on the train or we get on a, we're lucky enough to get on a plane. It's government entities, right? That are supposed to look out for us. So when I hear constantly saying, government, get out of our lives, I'm thinking, wait a second, that's who, like, keeps us all safe. We have
8: to have some... I mean,
2: ideally, but Max, should government be doing more right now in East Palestine? Oh, my God. Absolutely. Absolutely. I mean,
8: this is a rolling justification, as you said, for the role of government from the regulations that should have been in place beforehand to the air screening, the water screening, and so on and so forth, to all the health screenings that that you mentioned earlier. Uh, You know, I find it fascinating to your point how J.D. Vance... The ultra MAGA isolationist Republican is the first one out the chute joining with Sherrod Brown saying we need more regulations now that it is it has impacted my constituents. But to also bring this back to politics and everything comes back to politics in the end, the fact that Donald Trump has been to this site, but President Biden has not. I cannot for the life of me understand this. Yeah, what do you think that is? Look, I, I think that Democrats, a weakness of my party is that at times we get a little too wonky. You wonder, well, th- this is a crisis area. And you overthink get, it. They hey, overthink hey, it too much. I don't want to get in yeah. the way of this person and that person, this and that. Secretary Buttigieg just did the same thing when in reality this is a moment for real leadership, moral leadership. And it, it, there are political implications to that as well. And if I were advising him, or uh, he should be
4: there immediately. And, you know, it's, it's fascinating on this because we think of Joe Biden as the rail president. And that shouldn't just be passenger rail. Yeah. That should be freight rail as well. And we, we don't think about freight rail every day of our lives. And most Americans, if you don't live on the Eastern seaboard, don't think about, you know, passenger rail either. But this is, should be an opportunity for Biden also for Michael Regan at EPA and uh, and Secretary Rodriguez But they've been too late on this. And there's already an example of how this has gotten wrong. And it was George W. Bush flying over Hurricane Katrina. Politics is about people. It's Mm -hmm. always about people. This is the crime discussion we're having. So when a train derailment happens and toxic chemicals are spilled, and those things are not just going to contaminate water, they're going to contaminate lives for decades. Anybody who watches cable news sees ad nauseum uh, commercials for Camp Lejeune and the groundwater uh, contamination. um, I worked on that issue. And it took a long time to figure out who got what and who was able to, you know, be able to determine where it came from. These things happen too often. Politicians, Republicans and Democrats, should be overly aggressive.
2: And do you have a theory on why President Biden has not gone?
4: I, well, to me, it's not about Biden. It's about the administration. And um, that Michael Regan and, and, and Secretary Pete—we call him Secretary Pete because he rides his scooters and we, we like him and all of that— that they weren't there on the ground saying, this administration cares about you and is listening and looking. They're the first line of defense. You know, when there's a, when there's a hurricane, the president doesn't need to be there. FEMA needs to be there. But ultimately, that lack of, l- lack of access and, and action from the administration then puts it on Biden. So when Biden gets there— it's going to be too late. And that's slightly unfair. I think the Republican attacks of you were in Ukraine, but not here are unfair. But that happens because the administration wasn't on the ground immediately.
5: I think sometimes political calculation is, is necessary, like in the issue we discussed earlier in the D.C. bill. Sometimes you got to go with your gut, yeah. and this time they should have gone with their gut.
2: Vanessa, thank you very much for being here and sharing your story. That's a really interesting and really heartbreaking to hear what happened there. So thanks also for the message to East Palestine. Thank you. Okay, uh, now to something lighter. Imagine being on a cruise ship, visiting 135 countries, seeing all seven continents. All your meals are included, even the booze. And the monthly price is cheaper than your rent. Doesn't that sound great? There's only one thing you have to sign up for three years. Would you do it? We'll discuss next. Do you like to go on cruises? We've got a great one for you. You'll visit 135 countries, all seven continents. You'll see Machu Picchu and the Great Wall of China and Chichen Itza. But there is a catch. You have to go on the cruise for three years. (laughs) You have to commit now. For three years I'm back with my panel. Guys, and part of it is sounds great to me because it's twenty five hundred a month, okay, which is lower than a lot of rent and mortgages, okay. And all of your food is included, obviously all of your lodging, you're on the cruise ship, you're going to seven continents. Some booze is thrown in, by the way, Doug. What do you mean some I knew you'd now I have your attention. Um, but you have to go for three years. That's a that's a big commitment. Okay, Max, are
8: you in? It sounds tremendous. So
5: okay, you <laughs> like it. So, so you're sign, in. Sign you're so
8: up. full. Come yeah? on. This, this, this sounds. Unbelievable. I mean, maybe three no, weeks. I but mean, no, look, I, I I can't even take this seriously. <laughs> I mean, I, I'm imagining. You know, I come I come from a a family. You know, a, a, a loud. Jewish New York fighting <laughs> family. I mean, can you have a family fight on, on one of these cruises? Like, how, how does how does this work? This is the funniest, weirdest thing I have ever heard in my life. But I'm, I'm fascinated by it. I, I I'm think, not ruling it out. I, I think we've out. come. I think
5: we've come a long way because then when COVID first started hitting, right, that was like, oh my god, you're stuck on a cruise and yes. they couldn't get they couldn't get back to shore. The last place you'd ever want to be is on a ship. We you have amnesia about that now. And now it's like, oh, let's just go take a cruise for three. As I said, maybe three weeks, but three Three years?
2: I said, here's what's uh, also so fascinating, guys. You're on with 1,074 other Mm -hmm. people. So you better really like those Mm -hmm. other 1,000 people because it's like a traveling commune. You are, they're your neighbors. Petri dish. Or Petri dish.
6: (laughs) For three years. I see this as like a spinoff of White Lotus. Like, i you took the words out of my mouth. i was I'm like, imagining. It sounds so promising, but this actually could be a nightmare. Yes. I could see it if maybe you're like a little bit younger, you're single, you're ready to mingle. By the time you get out of those three years, <laughs> you might have a fiancé or two. I, I don't know. It sounds like something that is for the unanchored person. And that's Literally. Me. Unanchored. Like good. That. That, that's good. I like that. <laughs> so I'm thinking of, of two
4: different TV shows. One- Quincy, who lived on a houseboat while he was solving crimes and loving the ladies. Huh. And then, obviously, the love boat. And ultimately, it comes down to a third TV show. There's a three-hour tour. No chance. <laughs> I thought you'd say you might end up on Gilligan's Island. I Get is me it. off this it. thing. That's that it, right?
2: That is it. But that was just three hours. This is three years. Yeah. Right.
4: Even if Jack Klugman is solving those crimes, no chance.
2: You're a hard no. Bucks.
8: Hard no. Hard no for you. That's a nice price.
2: I mean, That's a it? nice price. I mean, Twenty five hundred for your food and everything.
8: All you can eat, all you can drink. Yeah. Oh,
2: by the way, I've been. Okay, how many yeah. of you have been on a cruise?
4: Uh, I've been on uh, one. A couple. Yes, yes. Yeah. No. Yes. I yes. A couple, no. Yeah. For reasons aforementioned.
2: Okay. Yeah. Well, you can eat your face off on a cruise. You can eat a lot,
5: and there's not that many places. I mean, I know they got these little pseudo gyms. If it's been how big it is, but. How many times can you walk around that floor of the, the cruise deck. ship You know, to get those are steps we in? How to
6: regulate, though? People have be- been behaving so badly in public lately. I saw, like, a brawl on a cruise recently, a is video Is Charo involved, by the way? <laughs> like, if Charo <laughs> is
4: involved, I might she's rethink She's the
6: special this. guest star.
4: I, I might oh, rethink boy, it if she's involved.
6: I don't know. Part of me,
2: I mean, at three years old, I, uh, that's not realistic right now. But, I don't know, as a retiree, going mm-hmm. to all these fabulous places, going to the see the panel. great... Well, yeah, I can bring you guys. Yeah, we, could, we, could, we, right. could, we, we could, could just
5: talk like this every night. Yeah. Just That's right. That <laughs> you know? sounds
2: fantastic and slightly torturous. <laughs> um, so uh, just think about it, guys. That's all I'm asking. Okay. All right. Meanwhile, we have to tell you this story. Our colleague and CNN anchor Casey Hunt welcomed her new daughter to the world. But the labor was anything but ordinary. Her baby daughter is named Gray. And Gray uh, did not make it to the hospital for this delivery. She was delivered at home on the bathroom floor. We'll tell you what happened next. Oh, my gosh. Wow. All of us here at CNN sending our love and congratulations to our colleague, Casey Hunt, who just delivered her second child, a daughter named Gray. But Gray's arrival did not go as planned. Casey was at home in Washington on Wednesday morning when she went into a sudden labor. And a quick 13 minutes later, she gave birth to Gray on the bathroom floor. You can see her there still. Fortunately, her husband, Matt, was home to help. Casey later posted photos on Twitter joking that Gray welcomed herself into the world and thanking D.C. Fire, EMS, and 911 operators for guiding them through the delivery and then getting them quickly and safely to a hospital. The baby was supposed to be born during a scheduled C-section the next day, but clearly Gray wanted a March 1st birthday. She weighed in at eight pounds, four ounces. So congratulations to Casey. Okay, coming up, uh, Tennessee Republican governor signing two controversial bills that target LGBTQ rights. And he's being called out for hypocrisy on multiple levels. Let's begin this hour talking about a hot issue around the country, specifically uh, gender roles. Today in Tennessee, the Republican governor, Bill Lee, signed two controversial new laws. One bans gender-affirming care for minors, and the other restricts drag shows in the state. Let's bring in former Democratic Congressman Mondaire Jones. Patrick McEnroe is here. P- Molly Zhangpas is here. And Doug High. So, guys, um, let's start with the decision To ban any sort of doctor's medical care for anyone under 18 who um, is looking for, who believes that they're trans and who is looking for any sort of medical treatment, be it, you know, pharmaceutical or surgical or consultation or anything like that. Um, Doug, you are, I believe, comfortable with this law, new law in
4: Tennessee. Look, I think, one, we got to treat people with dignity and respect. And certainly what we know, what we've learned over not just the past three or four years, but even the past 20 years is that people who, you know, feel this way are this way and have gone through this process quite often go through a very painful life and painful process. We don't want that. Um, But there are differences between people who are adults and people who are children and the decisions that are being made when you're talking about children. Some of these are not just life-changing, but body-changing things that you can't then, say, four years or ten years down the line that you want to redo. And for that reason, I think we need to be mindful that these are, um, these are children.
2: I mean, a 17-year-old, you so you're, you're categorizing a 17-year-old as a child who doesn't yet know what they want,
4: basically. Sure, in the, in the same way that we have a lot of laws that affect you know, 18 and under or 21 and younger. Um, there's a lot that you can't do when you're 17. You can drive a car in some states. I think not all of them yet. But there's a lot more you can't do. And then when you get to 21, you, you still have to get to 21 for that. So I think we need to protect them from those decisions. And what adults do is, is a very different thing. And we need to treat them with respect and dignity.
1: I don't think this is about protecting children. I think this is about politics, right? Republicans, if you watch CPAC, it's trans, 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 trans. This is their satanic panic. They want you to think that... I mean, I just think that these are bills that are really about politics and not about people, right? If you're worried, mandate therapy. You don't have to ban Mm -hmm. treatment. I mean, this is all about... uh, These are all dog whistles. These are like banning gay marriage. I mean, this is the same kind of thing where they just have figured out that this is something the base likes, and they get people wrong. But do
2: about. you, Molly, think that there are some teenagers who would make rash decisions
1: um, if left to their own devices? Absolutely. But you don't need to make—first of all, it's a small part of the population. You don't need to make it illegal. You want to mandate therapy. You want to protect people. I mean, there are a million ways to do that. This is not about that. This, this is this about is,
5: this, this is not a topic that needs to be put under the rug. Right. And not have the ability of kids and their families to discuss this, to get treatment, to think about. Of course, it's a life changing decision. I I can't imagine that anyone would think about doing this that hadn't spent a lot of hours and time talking to their loved ones. Is this the right thing for me to do and Um, to not have it available for people to discuss it, whether you're 13, 17 or 21? Excuse me. Seems
10: absurd. I'm having trouble thinking of laws that would overrule the recommendation of a physician in this context, right? So this law is at Mm -hmm. odds with what physicians recommend. In fact, what medical associations have advised, which is that in in consultation with, of course, your parent or guardian uh, and a medical provider, you can get to a place where this procedure is appropriate to be performed under the age of 18 or 17. Not even a, a years procedure. Old. I mean,
2: some of them are, are you know, taking drugs. Hormone, hormone treatments. Yeah.
10: Absolutely.
2: Um, here's what's interesting: Governor uh, Bill Lee had very, very strong feelings about a year ago, year and a half ago, about how government should not be able to mandate what kids do with their health. Only the parents should be able to decide things like masks vaccines. Mm, So here he is then.
5: have the choice uh, to choose and make decisions about their children's health and well-being. Give the parents uh, the right to make that personal health decision for their kid. Individual decision making by a parent on issues involving the health and well-being of a child is the most important. A parent knows best about their own individual child and what's best for them. Parents are the best decider of, actually they're the only appropriate decider of uh, the health decisions for children. And we need to do nothing in government to go around that parental decision.
2: What happened to that, Doug?
4: <laughs> when politicians are sometimes inconsistent, what a what a shock! <laughs> well, he was right? he
2: was stunningly consistent <laughs> and, for all of those, those various states. I
4: think to, to Molly's point, there there are of course politics involved in this. There are politics in in everything that you know. Every health care bill that's that's put forth, whether by a Republican or Democrat, what I hear so often from Democrats privately is concerns about how the this movement is moving forward. And that they feel that they can't say anything publicly. I'm thinking of a friend of mine who's watching me right now, who's a Democrat, who I've traded notes with, who says, our party's moving too far on this, and we don't know what the ramifications are.
2: Well, I hear you. I mean, but we can say anything publicly here tonight, basically. And so do we believe that parents should decide kids' health or not?
4: Right. Sure.
1: So then why can't they?
4: Sure, of course well, of course they should, but well
1: then you're but making we, a law that well, says under But it. we
4: have well, we have a lot of laws on what eighteen year olds and twenty-one and year olds or under can do. They can't buy cigarettes, they can't buy beer, they can't do a lot of things that are decisions they may want to make for them themselves. And when you then start talking about using certain hormone blockers or certain surgeries, even with their parents' consent, you can't go back from the age of six from if you do it at sixteen and then at the age of 22 or 32 then I, want I, to i
5: always hear this argument that though, normal Doug, i always hear this argument that if you do it then you're going to change your mind i've never heard a trans person say they want to change their mind that's absurd that's just a, that's just a but silly argument change their minds okay, every 13 while. is but, different okay I, but
10: I, the, the laws that we have to say you can't smoke until you're a certain yeah. age or you can't drink until you're a certain age that's meant to protect the health of the individual, yeah, but don't and, these people and, and think and the the that they're protecting society.
2: the health of the teenagers? But here, physicians,
10: physicians, and and psychologists are saying it is harmful to children, right. who are experiencing, for example, gender dysphoria, among other things, to not be able to treat them appropriately, right. and that is the fundamental difference between the laws that you just described and the law that for political purposes, the governor of Tennessee has just signed.
5: Can't people make their own decisions about how they want to live their lives if not, it doesn't affect other people?
2: Adolescents and teenagers. Okay, but if,
1: okay. it, if it
5: doesn't affect other people in a negative way. But right. I also
1: wonder, like, what happened to the Republican Party of smaller government, right? Like, you know, I was hearing that governor say, we're not going to tell you to vaccinate your kids, but we are going to tell you you can't, you know, you can't get them there, you know, this... I mean, I think it's- yeah, no, it is. Uh, I mean, it's the inconsistency is laid bare right there.
2: Let's also talk about the bill that he signed about drag shows. So as you know, not only are, is trans a hot button word, um, but drag shows are. And so now he has signed, I think I have the language here, it's an offense. It's now legal, illegal for a person who engages in adult cabaret performances... Um, And as a feature of that performance uh, is a male or female impersonator who provides entertainment viewed by a person who is not an adult. Okay, Um, it's just it's it's again just um, interesting to see that the governor himself dressed as a woman in his high school photo. Here he is um, dressed as a woman because.
5: Lots of people Because dress, it's fun. And because it's right. fun
2: right. and it's funny. And lots of people yeah. dress as a different gender f- to perform. And,
5: and by the way, being a drag queen is a serious wor- art form. What? And they've been doing it for <laughs> thousands of years. It's entertaining. <laughs> people like to express themselves. It's fun to watch it. And you might actually learn something about the world and other people.
10: You know, given what they say about what drag can do to a person, right. turn them into a person, I just think it's comical that as an actual member of the LGBTQ plus community, I have never dressed in drag. But I'm hearing all these straight <laughs> Republican men like go back in the, in, into high school or just a few years ago in the case of that one state legislator. And and it's drag, drag, drag until it becomes politically
1: right. expedient. palatable,
10: expedient, yeah. even better Uh, to to do this and gin up up But it is
2: curious, the phenomenon of all these men dressing (laughs) as women. I don't
10: want to speculate, but, you know, I mean, the fact is, drag is is fun, right? It's funny, it's fun. I mean, let people just have fun. Whatever happened to having fun?
2: Well, I mean, basically what they're saying, Mondaire, though, is that they, sure, go and have your fun, but don't involve kids.
5: Have you watched any of the latest like TikTok videos and things you hear on the you know pop music and see what the pop stars do? And you know, my teenage daughter's come on, bless us. I'm listening to the lyrics. I'm like, uh, okay, <laughs> that's uh, more
2: risky. you're risky. That's what I'm saying. It's, what I'm saying. it's way pop more risqué. music is more risky. If they
5: can handle that, and it's freedom of speech for artists to do that. This is another form of freedom of speech. So, and this is going to, you know, uh, what What they use the word, sexualize kids at a young right. age or, you know, I mean, give me a break.
1: But this is Come old on. school, you know, satanic panic. You know, this is that the music is going to make the kids bad. The drag queens are going to make the kids, you know, I mean, this is a whole thing. You know, the Republican Party knows that their base likes to be afraid. And so they do crime. They do, you know, you could be turned gay by going to a drag show. It's, I mean, I just think that this is like the same kind of thing they've been doing for the last, you know, since Nixon. Probably since before Nixon. I mean, I think this is politics. I mean, it, your thoughts on drag shows? Well,
4: first, Satanic Panic is a hell of a band name. <laughs> <laughs> I want to go on to see them. Yeah, yes. you know, or That's was a that the Ozzy Osbourne yeah, term want, or right. tour or whatever? I want to, yes. oh, look, look, I I like Shakespeare. And so uh, when I've seen Twelfth Night and when I've seen The Merchant of Venice, you know, there's always at the end, oh, wait, those male judges who ruled against us are actually our wives. Right. And that and if you go back 400 years, they were men playing women who were playing men who were playing women. It gets very confusing. Gender bending, you might say. But
2: given all that, why do you think Republicans have such a be in their bonnet right now about drag shows?
4: Um, I I think it goes it goes back to children. Um, you know, which is part of the previous conversation that we had. Look, I, I niece and nephew who grew up in, in England and they had the pantomime shows, right? Very drag heavy. And I didn't go to one. Sort of glad I didn't. I missed David Hasselhoff at one, unfortunately. But why but are you
2: glad you didn't? Because it's,
4: it's, it's not my thing, but if that's what you like, go do it. Is that appropriate for a third grade math class or English class? Maybe not. But if that's what adults want to do, go for it.
1: But where are they doing this? I mean, like, I have lots of kids. None of my kids have ever had any drag shows brought to them at their schools. I mean, I just, maybe there's a world with a lot of drag going on for little kids, but I (laughs) haven't seen it.
5: (laughs) Satanic (laughs) panic. That's what we're going to remember. It's a great band
4: name. Um,
2: All right, friends, thank you very much. We have this sad news now. To report, this is just into our newsroom, actor Tom Sizemore has died at the age of 61. His representative says he died peacefully in his sleep after he suffered a brain aneurysm that occurred as a result of a stroke that he had on February 18th. Since then, Sizemore has been in critical condition and in a coma in intensive care. Tom Tom Sizemore was best known for roles in movies like Saving Private Ryan and Black Hawk Down. And we'll be right back. Estrogen in the water turning people gay. That's the conspiracy theory once pushed by Ron Perry, who Governor Ron DeSantis just appointed to the Disney Oversight Board. Here he is.
11: Why are there
5: homosexuals today? Um, There are any number of reasons, um, you know, that are given. Uh, Some would say um, the increase in estrogen in our societies. You know, there's estrogen in the water. From uh, the
7: um, uh, from birth control pills. They can't get it out. Hmm.
2: Let's bring back our panel. Um, I'm not sure I don't know if they're laugh science, or cry. I'm I mean, not sure just... what science journals he's <laughs> reading. Um, I mean, I think it is true there's more estrogen in our products. That is true. That's a concern for sure. I'm not sure there are more homosexuals today than there have been for the past hundreds and thousands of years. But he's convinced of it. And he's going to be on the Disney Oversight Board. There's, um, I also want to try not only like that, he's not only concerned about our health. Um, he's also saying—well, I'll just read to you this one. He's also called LGBTQ people deviant. He suggests they don't have a stake in the future because many don't have children.
12: Yeah.
2: And then here's something, and by the way, he didn't say this in, the K-File didn't dig this up from 1975, 1965. This was two months ago. And here is what he also said two months ago about um, homosexuals.
11: There are a lot of um, unhealthy effects of a homosexual lifestyle. There are diseases, but it goes beyond that.
2: Okay, sorry, that was actually last year. That was a year ago. okay. Where do we begin, Doug?
4: Well, we all got the same sort of puzzled look on our face, right like and, and you, I think you highlighted it well it wasn 't thirty years ago. this wasn 't after rock Hudson you know had revealed that he had AIDS and uh, so it 's not just bizarre talk it's carnival talk at this point. and every person that I know who's a friend who's gay, you know what they do. They go to the gym constantly and they post pictures where i 'm like oh, man, I got to stop eating so much, right, <laughs> including the congressman. Like, like,
3: this
1: is so...
4: Again, it's not bizarre, it's carnival. Uh,
10: look, if I had known that the way to, to to not become gay growing up was to stop drinking tap water and to, <laughs> and to pivot to Poland Spring, then, like, that would have saved me a lot of heartache. Like, I'm, I'm proud <laughs> at this point, but it, it's clearly not that simple. And I just... I mean, do you think he's going to get away in the general election with stuff like this? I, I, people keep saying that because he's not Donald Trump.
2: You're talking about Governor DeSantis. Governor
10: yeah. DeSantis, that he is going to be so formidable in the general election. And I just I, I want to thank more of the American people, whether it is this or, or manipulating or banning outright hundreds of books yeah. uh, de- describing black history or. You know, his uh, obsession with 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 beating up companies that, that speak out against some of his more controversial policies. I mean, this is not stuff that even Donald Trump was doing. I mean, Donald Trump never leaned into LGBTQ issues nearly as much as, as Ron DeSantis. Did. And I think it's because he knew that, like, the culture war, that culture war had been lost already, frankly.
2: Yeah, I don't even know where Governor DeSantis can find someone like Ron Ron Perry. I mean, it's not easy to find somebody who in this year... Just go to CPAC. CPAC. Sorry, go to
4: the Star Trek (laughs) convention that is called CPAC. Buy your Spock ears and your lightsaber, Uh, you know, of of a right-wing variety, and you'll find these people. The good news for Ron DeSantis is he is a bus, and he's going to back that bus over the guy, then drive it up. Cross again and then back it up again. Like, we will not have to worry about this guy in a year or so. I
5: mean, there's obviously crazy people out there, right? This is evidence of that that say absurd and ridiculous things. But the idea that a person who's, as you said, the the governor in Florida and is seriously considering running for president, in fact, most people assume it's a lock, that he would actually think it's okay to put this guy on an oversight. I mean, that to me is what is so insane about this and so downright scary that that would actually be okay but to do Florida that. But
1: Florida is where science goes to die at this point. I mean, he just... I thought just, that's where
10: woke goes to die. Yes, also. There's a lot
2: dying okay. going
1: I, I think Florida. it's where it facts... It may be synonymous. But I, <laughs> but, <laughs> I think yeah. it's where facts and logic go to die. I mean, really, you know, the man is... And remember, this is the state that brought you Don't Say Gay, right? This is the state that bans books. I mean, this—they're the stuff they're doing in there is stuff we haven't done in this country... In 50 years. You know, also, we haven't Ron, used a name Usher tonight, vetting, right.
4: yeah. and in a good way, we haven't used a name tonight. I apologize for using it, George Santos, which should be a reminder that vetting doesn't always happen, right. and I would bet that that's part of the problem here.
2: Do you think that Governor Santos is surprised that uh, Ron Perry? I don't, think he, I don't think he knew about no. those statements. No,
4: wouldn't rise to that level of the governor. Do you think he'll get fired now that this information is coming out? No, but eventually there'll be a bus, <laughs> and it'll back up against him and drive across and <laughs> back and forth.
2: All right, so let's move on to what happened in Dallas. There was this reporter from the Dallas Morning News. She's been fired after tweeting to the mayor and calling him bruh. In the tweet. So basically he said that local news has no interest in reporting good news. And she responded in a tweet where she said, bruh, national news is always going to chase the trend. Cultivate relationships with quality local news partnerships. The mayor, Eric Johnson, then tweeted back at her, bruh, have we met? (laughs) and then she lost her job as a result of that and she explained herself by saying I'm a millennial that's a term I use all the time I mean I think it's it's their dude it's their version of dude Mm -hmm. you know do you know what you're saying so what do you think (laughs) explain it to us I'm a
10: millennial (laughs) um, and I think that millennials and, and Gen Z have a real problem in terms of practicing professionalism uh, you know a, a, as a when I was a member of Congress, it was noticeable who called me Congressman and who called me by my first name and when the in the rare instances where journalists called me by my first name or certain members of the public called me by my first name it w- it was jarring right I mean because then you and, and then and it was jarring to other people, including my staff who heard it happen like there are just certain aspects of decorum that people Especially in certain professions, like, like, like this woman who was a, a journalist, if not an anchor of, of a, of a t- television network or show that should be practiced. A reporter, yeah. She's a reporter. Um, so actually, you know, <laughs> I, I don't think it's crazy that she was fired for behaving that way on Twitter.
5: If she just left out the bra, it would have been a perfectly fine <laughs> comment and tweet. That's right. You know about national, local politics, fine, but to Montero's point, it's to uh, a bridge too far. It's, it's unprofessional, and and as like you said, it's the decorum is not there, and most importantly, it shows a lack of respect.
1: I don't know. I mean, <laughs> she's you're okay, a straight. Well, I, I'm a, on the opinion side, so I feel like when you're on the opinion side, it's a little bit different. She's a straight reporter. You don't really want a straight reporter to have an opinion. I mean, it's... But would you call in New York Mayor Adams brah? I mean, I'm not a huge Mayor Adams person, so... But no, I probably would not call him bruh. but, you know, I mean... I think it's... But I mean, I don't know. Should she lose her job for that? I mean, she could have deleted and apologized. I mean... Yeah, I think she did delete it. She did delete it. But I don't know. Do you think she should have lost her job?
4: Everything, and I want to use this title correctly, the congressman said (laughs) is 100% right. And it also can be true that this is a crazy overreaction that she got fired for using
10: the term bra.
2: I only have 15 seconds left. Should we still call you congressman?
10: Yes. Oh, I don't care. No,
1: so seriously. Seriously.
10: You can absolutely call me Mondaire. That's the right answer, and, and I will call you congressman. <laughs> now
1: I'm going to call you congressman. No, no. All right. Who are you going to call,
4: call boy, me?
5: We'll,
1: it. Are you kidding? Um, guys, I'm going to call <laughs> you champion.
5: You want a grand a busy week in
2: the news. Ignore my panelists. Have you been paying attention to everything that's happened? We're going to quiz the panel on what they know about this week in news. But before that, CNN's presentation of HBO's Overtime with Bill Maher right after this Now I want to turn it over to our friends at HBO each Friday following real time with Bill Maher. Bill and his guests answer viewer questions and bring their unique perspectives to the topics driving the national conversation. We're excited to bring you this lively discussion first every Friday night. So here is Overtime with Bill Maher.
7: Okay, we're on CNN now. I don't know how that happened. But uh, we're back with our panel from Vermont. Bernie Sanders, the senator. Host of Showtime's The Circus, John Heilman. And actor and ingredient Russell Brand are back with us. Okay, so here are the questions. People wrote in, I guess this is for you because it mentions the Brit Awards. What does the panel think of the discussion around the Oscars getting rid of gender-specific categories like Best Actor and Best Actress, and how did it work out at the
13: Brit Awards? As a person who's never won an award... I feel confident in saying that they are vacuous and pointless, a distraction at a time where we need to be coming together around real principles and values. Unless someone wants to give me an award, in which case I'd like to make it as specific as possible so I could bloody well get it. (laughs) But am I wrong that at the the Brit Awards, which is for music? I hosted that before, but I'll tell you, Bill, that I was able to let go of the experience and have never thought about it since. (laughs) I feel that it might be fundamentally meaningless. Okay. <laughs> I can't find meaning in it. But what, I've looked, what I read none.
7: was it used to be best male, best female and they just cut out the categories and it was one like it was on, the only people who won it was it was four men and Harry Styles. Yeah, I think <laughs> No, all the... Like, no, women won.
13: They should just give awards to Harry Styles, and that can be an industry. Okay. And we'll watch the world incinerate while Harry Styles dances what, beautifully.
7: What is... <laughs> what is the likelihood that Congress will abolish daylight savings time? Is this something... I read this also today that... Uh, is that
14: like they're calling it the permanent daylight savings permanent time? Permanent daylight... I don't really understand, I mean, even understand what that could mean. Is, do you care about this? Are
11: you... No. To I, 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 have to, I have been criticized for having a very narrow focus. <laughs> I accept that criticism. But daylight savings time is not one of the issues that I've been studying.
7: Okay. But you know what? I bet you this is I'm the kind of stuff it. that actually affects a lot of people.
11: And and it's and
7: it's anachronistic, it's stupid. I don't get it. I don't know. I guess we did it a hundred years ago because farmers needed, okay, well. How many people in America are farmers? It's like 1% of the population. I mean, we need the farmers. I love food. (laughs) I'm not crazy about the way they do their farming, torturing animals. And by the way, just to connect it once more to COVID, we are never going to be done with diseases like COVID while we are still torturing animals. It all comes from animals. Now we have to worry
14: about bird flu. Bird flu, it's birds and we're, pigs. We're, we, back, we're back in the wet market again where it's like that's it's the yes, reality. It's like but it, it jumped, it, there, there's, there, there's bad shit that goes on in those places. That's right. And that's why it, that also could be where it came from. But it always jumps
7: from animals to people. And it wouldn't if we didn't pen up the animals and torture them before we
11: eat them. It seems like... And, let, me be, let me be non-funny. You know, yes. Your point about sickness and, and the possibility of future pandemics... Absolutely speaks to the need for international cooperation. Because a pandemic is not going to be an American issue. It's not going to be a Chinese issue. We're going to have to bring the world together to deal with climate, to deal with pandemics. Okay. Uh,
7: should law enforcement be policing TikTok in order to crack down on illegal trends like the viral challenge to steal K- Kia's and Hyundai's? Oh, yeah. Do you know about this? They, there's TikTok videos that show how you could, with just, a, I think, a screwdriver and an iPhone charger, you can hotwire a Kia and Hyundai. So, like, they're being stolen left and right. Um, what do you think about TikTok? That's another thing that's before Congress. Somebody has a bill to ban TikTok, certainly for people under 16. I think that's Josh Hawley's. Well,
11: I think the concern is TikTok is a Chinese-owned company, and you're seeing states and the U.S. government uh, not wanting to use it for fear that some uh, secretive information could fall into Chinese hands. Well,
7: but also it's rotting the minds of our young
11: people. Well, it's a whole other story, but that's... (laughs) That's beyond TikTok, isn't it? It is, but TikTok is not helping. I would well, say the, rot, the
14: rotting of the minds of the America, of America's youth is a is a problem that existed long before TikTok. It made it it's like one of the things great things about being young. Made it much worse. Kids at least used to read a book. I don't
7: think yeah. kids ever see a book. They do not read. They scroll. A- Scrolling does not make you smart.
11: Uh, you know, not to become overly serious. I, I think it is now perceived that pan, that the pandemic has made the mental health crisis that we previously had even worse. And there is a lot of discussion about the impact of social media and the isolation and the lack of human contact that it develops on our
7: health. All right. Russell, what are your thoughts on the UFOs that were intercepted and shot down by the U.S. military last month? I don't know if they're referring to the Chinese balloons. They were not UFOs because we know what they were. They were Chinese balloons. (laughs) Uh, but there were other things there were some things that that we didn't get and we don't know what they are and there are things that we haven't found out what they are after we did shoot them down I
13: wonder whether or not the 14 trillion dollars that have been granted to the Pentagon 55% of which has ended up in the hands of the military industrial complex which surely American people are becoming weary of needs occasionally to be boosted with fanciful ideas of extraterrestrial invasion, maybe there needs to be a continual reminder that the skies themselves could become a threat unless Raytheon, Lockheed Martin, BAE Systems continue to profit. Elsewise, a balloon, a perfect metaphor, for it is naught but hot air, nothing inside it, (laughs) shot down by a $400,000 missile, might be coming for your family. Well, but... But, again, I'm... I mean...
7: We, we we're just saying here we all should be skeptical and have open minds on everything. Mm. It is possible that there are there's life in, on other planets that are visiting us or scouting you us.: know. I mean, there are even the U.S Even the US.. <laughs> even the US ne- I'm, I'm, I'm just saying it's possible. Carl Sagan sure, it said it is cl- possible. Okay. But
11: if you think that something from another universe came all the way here and was no. just kind of dragging around and was shot down very easily. I think if it's a UFO they would have done a little bit better in avoiding no, and evading my concept. We're
7: not we're, first of all, it's it's, it's it's we're not
13: saying it's from another universe. We're <laughs> saying it's from the same universe. The universe is very big. Bill, very big. Well, I think Bernie uh, raises a good point. It's not like E.T. would come all the way here and then trip up outside <laughs> Elliot's house. <laughs> He's made it all the way here. I agree.
7: No, That's the point. That's the right, point, I Bernie. Guess, well,
13: OK, the
7: Chinese balloon is different. Well, I'm not saying the Chinese balloon was from another universe yeah, or this no,
13: universe. I mean, it would have to be from China. Yeah. If it's a Chinese balloon. Right. And I mean that with all due respect. Unless the China- that's the least it can do. Well, <laughs> I was, was going to say, I think that's... I'm, I'm moving on. The obvious... Uh, thing. I, 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 <laughs> If you put like, Bernie back out here, he won't be happy if you're going to talk about extraterrestrials and balloons right. and that. Yeah. Okay. you're Inequality! If you're looking
14: for proof that there's life in outer space, intelligent life in outer space, you need to look no further than Russell. Okay. There, there's not really another accounting for how...
13: A, I'm glad that became a compliment, sir, because I was rearing up. No, well, don't you worry. Only <laughs> right. compliments, uh, my friend.
7: With all the emphasis on DEI, are we confusing equality of opportunity with trying to guarantee equity in outcomes? Okay, that's interesting because I think this word equity has come into the language in the last few years. And before that, we didn't hear it a lot. And I think a lot of people hear equity and they hear equality. Yeah. That, like, it's the same word. And it's not the same word in the same Concept. So, how would you differentiate between equity and equality?
11: Well, equality. We talk about. Uh, I don't know what the answer to that is. <laughs> Come to think of it, you know, uh, equality is equality of opportunity. All right? We live in a society. We want all people. Right. To have whatever
7: color your skin is. Equity, I think, is more guarantee of outcome. Is it not? I yeah, think- I think so. I think that's okay. Probably. So which do you come? Which side do you come down on?
14: Uh, we- equality. Equality. Uh, yeah. Okay. Boys, any comment on that one? I just don't know if that's the that's, if that's the definitional difference. But certainly this debate may, over the question not- of equality of outcome over over equality of opportunity is one that you know has been it's the question that underlies affirmative action and everything else that we've had in our politics for a very long time. And there's obviously people are very strong, even people who actually want equality of outcome say they only want equality of opportunity and vice versa. But that's you know that's the it, it, it's a that, that issue, that core of that, what do you actually want? Um, and I think Bernie is where everyone says they want to be, but there are, in fact, programs that have been designed, that designed to actually engineer equal outcomes, not just equal opportunity, and that's where a lot of the controversy has arisen. Okay,
7: one more. Have Democrats done enough to support strong labor unions, Bernie? <laughs> What's the future of <laughs> unions in this country? I think they just subpoenaed the Starbucks deal?
11: They didn't. I did. Uh, you know, it's uh, so... <laughs> That's not fair. Look, (laughs) we are not going to have... That is an issue I do know something about. and (laughs) That I pay attention to. And the bottom line is that you're not going to have a middle class in this country unless workers are able to stand up, organize, form unions, and and negotiate for decent contracts. And what we're seeing right now is more and more workers wanting to form unions, but you're seeing companies like Starbucks... Uh, and Amazon and other Apple and other large corporations really engaging in illegal union busting. So we have asked uh, the leader of Starbucks, the head of CEO, Howard Schultz, uh, to explain to us why he thinks it's acceptable that over 50 occasions the NLRB has said they have broken federal labor law in breaking unions. So we hope to have him come before our committee. There will be a vote on Wednesday... (laughs) Uh, ask, uh, a vote on, uh, on subpoena- subpoenaing him.
7: And it does seem like there is a, uh, a strange sort of hypocrisy there because these are usually liberal companies. I think Whole Foods also. And it's like they care a lot about the indigenous people of the
11: Bolivian Andes, uh, but not about some worker in Cincinnati. You got it. All right. They're very liberal about everything, Except whether workers can form a union and earn decent wages. <laughs> they're very liberal, except whether or not we ask them to pay their fair share of taxes, they're not so liberal then. That's right. right. Thank you, everybody.
7: Yeah. Thank you, CNN. I love that, Russell
2: Brand. You can watch Real Time with Bill Maher on Friday nights at H- on HBO at 10 p.m. and then watch Overtime right here on CNN Friday nights at 11.30. And we'll be right back. Can you remember what's happened in the news this week? Let's quiz my panelists right now. Okay, everybody, uh, first things first. Um, the vapors from the Jack Daniels Tennessee distillery are a, making everyone in town inebriated, B, causing birds to fly into telephone poles, or C, coating the entire town in fungus? Which one do you think it is? Please hold up your Nolly, answer now. Cheat. Please hold up your answer. No. Go ahead. <laughs> no. Please
7: hold up your answer.
5: <laughs> you just, Ebriated,
2: just looked at what we Telephone poles. What is it, guys? I, I, did, no? learn, I
4: did learn something <laughs> okay. in that You get more points know. if you're the oh, only one who's right, it. by the way.
1: Wait. Do it. I'm not cheating. I just didn't just see waiting. that everyone else yes, put, that tea okay. tea put up a It was voting the entire day. town in fungus. That was right. It was not okay. cheating.
2: Next question. Uh, this week, it was revealed that George Santos a, has a new mystery treasurer. B, lied about being a tennis champion. Well,
5: is
4: that for me? C, okay.
2: falsely <laughs> claimed to invent the toaster strudel. Is
4: there an all of the above choice?
2: <laughs> there should be. It could D. be. <laughs> I, I wish
4: I could do okay. B, but I like to be right. Okay. So yes, go you're head.
2: right. It's uh. A, has a new mystery treasurer. Okay. Next, the Bidens ordered the same dish at a D.C. restaurant. Was it grilled sea bass with garlic butter, rigatoni with sausage, or steak frites?
4: Rigatoni. There we go. Screen. Okay. Hold okay.
2: On. So what do you what do you, like? what do you have? Not Emily Heil
4: with the Washington Post is the one who broke this important. Uh, are you sure, I'm Congressman? Going I'm going oh, okay. with the rigatoni. Okay. Yes.
2: Yeah. It was the, yes. You got it. It was the yep. rigatoni. Okay. Next, <laughs> a West Virginia bill would offer returning residents a subsidies for starting a small business, b a commemorative John Denver bust, c twenty five thousand dollars in tax credits. Hmm. Okay, no one, everybody, B,
4: but it's not. Okay, it's not.
2: you say it's go. A, you say AC, the answer is C. C. Oh. Okay, you guys, uh, I think Mondaire and Doug won. Undefeated? I think. <laughs> guys, <laughs> yeah. thank you so much. I
4: call him Congressman by the way. <laughs> no, no, All
2: right. No. We'll be right back. <laughs> We're kicking off this year's CNN Heroes campaign by catching up with one of last year's top 10 honorees, Alaskan nurse, Teresa Gray. Her nonprofit, Mobile Medics International, has responded to dozens of humanitarian disasters worldwide. So when the devastating earthquake hit Turkey and Syria, she mobilized.
12: I need some 10 cc syringes. It's pretty frantic leading up to a mission. Okay, so this bag is ready to go. Making sure we have the right equipment, the right medications. We have enough for hundreds of patients. We're going to be sleeping in a tent, eating MREs. This is not going to be a good time. Three days after the
13: earthquake, Teresa landed in Turkey. She and her team soon headed to Hatay province.
12: This is apocalyptic. I'm here on the streets of Samadan. We're doing mobile clinics, and all the people are living here in these tents now because the villains have either fallen down or about to fall down. So we go street to street to street, and we stop at these little tent cities. We're seeing earthquake injuries, lacerations. Did something fall on him in here? We saw a child who'd been trapped in the rubble for well over 12 hours. We're seeing coughs, colds, flus from living together. Whatever it is they need us to look at, we will. Then we go back, sleep in our car, get up the next morning and do it again.
13: They treated hundreds of people. And one family adopted Teresa's group as their own.
12: This is my new Turkish mama. And these people have taken us in and they've allowed us to stay on their property. And they've given us tea. Tell her that we are so grateful for her.
13: Another reminder that even in desperate times,
12: You're welcome.
13: (laughs) Humanity can shine through.
12: I know. I'm so sorry. I'm so sorry. It's okay.
2: What an incredible story. To nominate your own CNN hero, go to cnnheroes.com. Thanks so much for watching, everyone. Have a great weekend. Our coverage continues.
0: Quality sleep is essential. That's why the Sleep Number Smart Bed is designed for your ever-evolving sleep needs, so you can choose what's right for each of you whenever you like. Need a bed that's firmer or softer on either side? Helps you sleep at a comfortable temperature. Quiets their snores? Sleep Number does that. Sleep better together. J.D. Power ranks Sleep Number number one in customer satisfaction with mattresses purchased in-store. And now, save 40% on Sleep Number Special Edition Smart Bed for a limited time. For J.D. Power 2023 award information, visit jdpower.com slash awards. Only at Sleep Number stores or sleepnumber.com.